Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Adina Oberman. I'm part of the Familius marketing team. I'm also a mom, a preschool teacher, and kids book blogger located in Connecticut. We hope to bring you nourishing, real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. I'm happy to introduce today's guest, Sean Thompson. Sean Thompson is a former world surfing champion and has been described as one of the greatest and most influential surfers of all time. He's an inductee in the U.S., Jewish, and South African sports halls of fame. Sean is also a world-renowned leadership mentor, entrepreneur, environmentalist, and best-selling author. He's the co-author of the current bestseller, The Surfer and the Sage, How to Survive and Ride Life's Waves, that he co-wrote with philosopher-poet Noah Benchia. May is Jewish Heritage Month, so today we're talking about our Jewish identities and hoping to give listeners a greater appreciation and understanding for Jewish history and life. The information shared today aligns with the Familia's 10 Habits of Happy Families. Learn together. You can learn more about the Familia's 10 Habits of Happy Families by going to the Habit Hub blog on Familias.com. Welcome, Sean. We're so happy to have you here. Hi, Dina. It's great to be with you. I'm coming to you from Montecito, which is a suburb of Santa Barbara in California. So probably much sunnier than where I am. <laughs> well, unfortunately, this time of year is most probably the most gloomy time of year. They call it May gray and June gloom. Other than that, Santa Barbara is perfect for 10 months of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take 10 months out of the year. <laughs> so let's jump right into the conversation. Like we said, May is Jewish Heritage Month, and we'd love to talk to you a little bit about your role and how you identify as far as faith, so can you talk to us a little bit about how you identify and what role, if any, being Jewish plays in your life? Yeah, well, Judaism plays a big part in my life. In fact, this past weekend on, on Saturday, we celebrated our son Luke's bar mitzvah. So that was a, a wonderful uh, um, celebration. And that is um, the traditional coming to manhood for, for a young Jewish boy and also for a, for a young Jewish girl. For a boy, it's called bar mitzvah or um, a girl that's called Bat Mitzvah. So we had a family coming in from uh, different parts of the country and the world. And it was just a, a wonderful celebration for all of us to get together. And he, he wrote a, a good speech and my wife and I also wrote a speech. But what's really significant, I think, is the most sacred Jewish document is the Torah, which is the five books of Moses, the first five books of the of the Hebrew and also the Christian Bible, the Old Testament, and what you do as part of your um, as part of the the celebration and to honor that moment is you read from the Torah. You read portion of the Torah each week. There is a different portion. Judaism follows a a lunar calendar, and he he read his part about regrowth and regeneration. His part was called Baha from Leviticus. It's interesting, very uh, interesting piece, but it's very challenging because there's a lot of uh, work and preparation. Not only does he have to learn the Torah portion and he has to learn how to read Hebrew, and Hebrew runs from right to left. It's not left to right. So it's a lot of challenge and a lot of work for him. And he stands up there in front of you know nearly 100 people and 
has to read the prayers and essentially takes the entire um, service with with the rabbi in attendance. So it's this moment of kind of being front and center and also connecting to your faith and connecting to your identity and connecting to your heritage and connecting to your culture. And people have been doing this for for thousands of of years now, and he's just one uh, part of the mosaic that represents Jewish tradition, heritage, and and culture. And the most profound prayer in Judaism, it's called the Shema. And it goes, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it is about oneness, and it's about identifying and shouting out your faith here, which is a wonderful, I think, representation of faith in all religions, whether it's Catholicism, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Judaism, Muslim, that I'm part of the community and we join by belief and culture and heritage and history. But essentially, there's that oneness and that oneness of a relationship that we all have with our God. And even though we might worship differently, we all have the humility to believe and to understand that we are not all powerful, but there is an entity that's all powerful. And, you know, we praise and, 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 and we bend the knee to that entity, whoever that might be. You know, we just worship the same God, but we just worship it differently. So it was beautiful to be a part of that, to be a part of the ceremony and to talk about prayer as well. I spoke, you know, that I said to my son and I went through some, you know, the standard like dad stuff for your child at, at the time for his journey. But I also said, and I firmly believe this, it's been taught to me by my parents and their parents to them, is prayer is very powerful. And no matter what religion you are, prayer is your conversation. Your prayer is your dialogue that you have with, with your God. And I said to Luke, you know, when things go sideways or things go bad, know that, that prayer can help you. And I said, just like your, your grandmother, my mom, who was a very spiritual, prayerful woman, she would say that prayer is good for every day. Prayer is good for always. And she said, God's like a good neighbor. When you pray, you knock on the door, and he's always at home. <laughs> so I, I, I thought, wow, that's such a beautiful metaphor that, uh, you know, prayer is, is your dialogue, yes, to praise God, but also when you, when you need help, it's a wonderful way to communicate. Absolutely, and mazel tov on your son's coming a bar mitzvah. Sounds very exciting. So it sounds like your identity and your faith really impacts your outlook on life and how you live your life in the world. Can you talk a little bit about how your identity as a Jewish athlete, how, how does being Jewish impact your, your career? How has, it, how has it made an impact on everything that's led up till now? 
Well, I think in a number of ways, uh, spirituality, hope, faith, optimism, a kindness, I think ultimately it all relates back to, all relates back to my faith. There's a chapter in my latest book in, in Surfer and the Sage, and it's called Doubt and Faith. And every single chapter of the book that I co-wrote with a Jewish philosopher poet, a guy called Noah Ben Shia, every chapter is about duality in life. Um, and there is a very significant chapter in there. It's, it's called Doubt and Faith. And it's about when my wife and I lost our beautiful 15 and a half year old son, Matthew, and how my whole life sort of imploded or our lives imploded and how I thought God had deserted me and how I had to find my faith again. And yes, I think there's many ways to find hope again, but certainly your faith in your religion is is very helpful path. And you say like, how, how did my religion help me as an athlete? I think my religion helped me as a person. And yes, perhaps it helped me as an athlete in terms of integrity and commitment, but it really helped me as a person. And, and when I lost my son and I would sit in my local synagogue in South Africa where I had had my bar mitzvah. And um, right above in every single synagogue in the world, you have the Ark, which is the repository for the sacred scroll, for the Torah, for the five books of Moses on one scroll. It's one scroll that's wound and unwound depending on which piece is going to be read uh, that week. Uh, right above it is a lamp. It's called Ner Tamid. It's the lamp of everlasting light. And uh, I would sit there and try to work out what had happened, why God had deserted me, and I'd look at the light. And I'd think of the words that my son had written to me shortly before he passed away. He was just reading me an essay that he'd written for school that day. And he'd written the, the words, the light shines ahead. And, and those words, the light shines ahead, and how light is exhibited in, in, in a synagogue is so connected to our human spirit for all of us. You know, our essential purpose, our fire, our mojo, who we are burns inside of us. It's, it's our light, it's our fire. And, you know, I'd look at that light and it would inspire me and it would give me more hope. And then I went surfing. I had not surfed for, for quite some time after I lost Matthew. And a, and a guy kept phoning me, hey, Sean, I want to take you surfing. Here's my schoolmate at school. We used to sit next to each other and we went to university together. Hey, Sean, I want to take you surfing. I want to take you surfing. And I have, I have no, no interest. My stoke, my light has gone out. Stokes, what surfers call it, that, that enthusiasm for surfing, that love, stoke. You stoked, but it gone out. He said, no, Sean, I've got to take you, I've got to take you. So eventually I relented and he took me to this beautiful beach I'd never been to before. <clears throat> and we walked on these steps to the beach. And as we looked out on the ocean, my old hometown of Durban is on the east coast. So the sun was just like boiling up through the ocean, this red African sun boiling up, just like 
the light that was above the Torah. Just was very similar, but I just saw the light and I saw hope and I paddled out and uh, I was crying. It was very emotionally draining. And, and as I was crying, the waves were splashing up against me and they were like washing my tears away. The waves were just washing my tears away. It was beautiful. And I just paddled out towards the sun, towards the light, and I could feel, could feel Matthew was with me, my son. His name in Hebrew means gift from God. And I sat and I waited for a wave. And my wave came and I, I caught my wave and I could feel our boy was with me. And paddled out again, I caught another wave and paddled out again, I caught another wave. It was, it was beautiful. It was like God hadn't deserted me, he was there. And then I paddled out to my friend and I said, so what's the name of this break? Because every surfing break around the world has a unique name. Sunset Beach in Hawaii, Mavericks in Northern California, Super Tubes in South Africa, they all have a name. So I said, gee, what's the name of this wave? And he said, it's called Sunrise. So how about that? So after that session, the broken pieces of my life, I think in some ways, maybe came together and was able to put them together. And yes, they were still broken, but they were together again. That's a really beautiful way to describe your experiences. And it reminds me when you talk about um, bringing the broken pieces of your life back together, reminds me very much of the Jewish concept of tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. And that is a mission and a call to action that is very much a part of the Jewish community, a, a concept that that children learn from a very young age, this concept of that the world is broken and the pieces are scattered and that it's our job to bring those pieces back together and tikkun olam, repair the world. And I think you really do that through the work that you do, the way you inspire so many people, the way you give, especially children, the framework to empower themselves, the way that you bring people who are dealing with loss together and, and the way that you share your son's story um, so openly and with so much love. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's very personal and, and very meaningful. Thank you, Adina. And, you know, you spoke about <clears throat> trying to, to help repair the world and the work that I do with, with students and I mean, I work with so many people, uh, inmates, PTSD survivors, people in rehab clinics, students, uh, large, very large corporations. And my message is really the same, no matter who I speak to. One is I give a perspective of my life that's been lived with um, passion and purpose, but a perspective, I don't give a prescription. And then everyone writes the code. It's a really simple process and anyone listening can do it, and I would encourage you to do it with your family because it's a wonderful way to connect families together in a deeply emotional way. Is just break out a sheet of paper and put a timer on for 15 minutes and write 12 lines, every line beginning with I will. This is a way to find your purpose, find your power, and find your path. And I think I've done this with over a million people, and it's, it's really a wonderful method for people to clarify and define the future. 
But the best part of the process is once you've completed it, is the sharing process. So if you do it as a family or if you do it in a large organization, and sometimes I'll have thousands of people on a live stream and people will just share one line and they, they'll text me the line and it comes up miraculously on my, on my presentation. And, you know, what's really interesting in the context of what you mentioned about Tikkun Alam, repairing the broken world, is people, while they all might write different things, I will have faith, I will love, I will be a better spouse, I'll be a better father, I will do what I say I will do. People write really beautiful words of commitment. They find the best version of themselves and they express that and commit to that. And when you put I will in front of something, it's not like I am. I will is about the future. It's about creating change. So people write beautiful, beautiful words. But essentially everyone only writes two words, two lines, not two words, two lines. So the one line that everyone writes in, in many different ways is I will be better. We all want to be better. We want to be lifelong learners. We um, want to live a life of moral integrity. We want to be successful. We want to be happy. We just, we, we want to be better. We're not like looking backwards. We're looking forwards. So that's one half of the meaning and purpose of life is we want to be better. But the other half that really relates to, I think, faith and heritage is I will help others be better. So we want to help others be better. We want to be a mentor. We want to lift others up. We want to be a better team member. So it's wonderful when people have this realization that, that we're not on the single-minded pursuit for success and wealth. We want to help other people too. We want to bring the world, we want to make it better, we want to repair it. So there is a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of common sense in many religions and we are a lot more connected than we think we are. You know, when I speak at these large groups, 50% of my audience is Republicans and 50% are Democrats. Well, you might have Democrats, Republicans and some independents, but generally there's a lot of uh, opposing political views. But when people write their code, they're writing poetry of the soul. I like to think they're writing spirit language. And spirit language transcends political parties, transcends dogma. It's just the human spirit revealed in its best sense and form. I think your work is really evident and truly embodies a lot of not only who you are as a person, but of the, like you said, a lot of values related to all Jewish people and the, the larger Jewish community, you know, valuing community, valuing learning and being very much aware of living life now to the best of your ability to be the best that you can be, not as so much concerned about what happens afterward. And as you were talking, it reminded me a lot of conversations I had with my own dad, who was a conservative rabbi. And I spent most of my, <laughs> most of my life in the synagogue, you know, st staring at, uh, you know, near to me, looking at my watch also sometimes thinking like, oh, exactly. when, is, when, is, when is this going to be over? When um, am I going to free? <laughs> right. When is it time for a snack <laughs> and, and grape juice? <laughs> yes. I think that's so, that first, I've noticed that for so many people, faith seems to be a given 
seems as though it's been built inside of them and it's this ever present thing. And then when you go through something so difficult, like the loss of someone that you, that you love so much, it's, it's the first time in life that people ever experience a challenge to that faith. And it can be, it can be very difficult to find your way back. And I think that finding, finding their way back to faith in God and faith in themselves is something that you, you're doing through the, the work that you do. You're creating your own tikkun olam and guiding people back to that light that shines within themselves so that they could shine it on others. There's this concept in a lot of um, Eastern European Jewish communities, the concept of being a mensch. Yeah. A mensch is someone who's... That's a good um, term. A when good someone term. calls you a mensch, that's about the greatest compliment that you can receive. Yes, yes. And I think that it sounds like that's exactly what you strive to be and what you inspire other people to be, you know, in your work and in your life. It's definitely a great, a great compliment. You know, that's a, a Yiddish word. And uh, I remember, um, you know, my um, grandparents, they all came out from Eastern Europe during the pogroms, Riga area in Latvia. But it was part of uh, Russia back then. And they would be, uh, when we'd have the Ha Holy Days, when it was Passover, Pesach, or Jewish New Year, or Shoshana, they'd all be sitting up at the end of the long table and rapping away in Yiddish. We didn't know what the hell was what the hell was going on. But, you know, one of the things, there's a commonality amongst a lot of um, Jewish people, and it's not as much religion as it is heritage. And that is that lifelong love and aspiration towards learning. Learn, learn, make yourself better, study, study hard. And then connected with that is this, Familial connection is having these uh, warm celebrations around the Ha-Holy Days and also every every Friday night around Shabbat, you know, the blessing over the bread, the, the blessing over the wine. It just keeps the family so connected. Like I've been married to my wife for 37 years and, um, you know, we've got our 13-year-old and you know, every night it's really important that we all sit down and we have dinner together. And even though, you know, kids today, they just want to be on the bloody cell phone. But it's like, you know, you've got to, you've got to spend the time and you've got to have the discussion and you've got to you know, reconnect as a family. And, and this notion of connecting, connecting through meals, it's unbelievably important. You know, recently Gallup released a workplace study 2022 workplace study of, of like uh, 1,300 business units around the world. So thousands and thousands of people. And as part of the study, they released this stat that 79% of people are disengaged. So they disengage from their jobs. They disengage from other people they work with. They just disengage. And it's a, it's a terrible statistic that people need to get connected. And I'm going like, you want to get connected, it's really simple. Here's a free way to get connected. Is tell a few stories. Like I tell three stories. I'll tell a story about commitment. I'll tell a story about perseverance. And I'll tell a story about connectivity. And then everyone writes their code. 12 lines, every line begins with our well, open source code. Anyone can use it. It's 15 minutes. And then you stand up and you read your code to the assembled group, whether it's your family, your friends, your colleagues at work. 
and you create this deep emotional connection to to help resolve to help resolve this fundamental business problem of disengagement disengagement it's a big big problem and not just in business kids are disengaged from one another they have the cell phone as an intermediary which is really a blocker they get involved in unkind behavior they get involved in lies so um, i think emotional engagement is, is a wonderful way to help solve this malaise and i'll tell you what there is a malaise because over covid i've spoken to since covid started in february 20 and i took all my presentations virtual live streams i spoke to about quarter of a million people and i asked people send me a word send me one word that describes how you're feeling so the words tumble across the screen and they form a word cloud <clears throat> so i've seen quarter of a million words over the last 3 years stress anxiety depression disconnection i call it the sad mindset stress anxiety depression those have been yes they've been positive words as well so so what's wonderful about what I, what i do dina and i love this so i have a starting point because that happens right at the beginning of my presentation stress anxiety depression disconnection that's the mindset i tell three stories tell the story about the origin and application of the code everyone writes their code everyone shares their code and then i ask people send me a word that you're going to take home with you one word i just want one what do you think that word is tell me guess have one guess oh that's it is that's it the, that's the word wow yeah that's the word that's what i do that's <laughs> pretty cool it's a pretty cool job <laughs> sounds like the best job yeah. <laughs> so As we begin to wrap up, I want to thank Familius for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and left us a review. And when you're ready for the next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you choose a book from Familius. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. Thank you so much for being with us today, Sean. It's been inspiring to share time with you. Thanks, Adina. Thanks, Familius. 